Welcome to Loremind, Guardian. Access to the Black Armory Papers has been granted. Good to see you again, Guardian. First of all, I have to apologize profusely for the giant delay in this third episode coming out. Some real-life matters and happenings started to take priority of my time, but mostly, I'll admit that I was lazy. I just let my creative drive fall off, and I'm very, very sorry for that. Above all else, though, I have to apologize to my main man and editor, ADP Newt. He's been incredibly patient with me and my lack of content, and so this episode goes out to him. You're the glue that holds this whole operation together, dude, and I'm forever grateful to you and all the work you put in. Now, on to the episode. When we last left off, the author of the journal and the unnamed Exo had escaped the Risen that was following them, if not at a great cost. Yuki, a co-founder of the Black Armory, sacrificed herself while injured to stop the man following them. She detonated a grenade under the guise of handing over the Obsidian Accelerator, which is the device that allows the Exo to enhance weapons with nothing more than her hands. Unfortunately, the last thing the author saw before she and the Exo ran was the little red drone shining its horrible light, searching for its master. We all know this to be a ghost, and the implications that come from the survival of the ghost are grim indeed. If you want a full recap, I suggest you go back and listen to episode 2. All the details are there for your enjoyment. Enough talk, though. Time for some lore. Here it is, O oh listener mine, The Black Armory Papers, Episode 3. Entry 142. My head has been down as I walk through this new world with such an inquisitive young soul. Her gaze is often to the sky, and today we were rewarded with our first living creature in a while. A butterfly. She was lost in its beauty. The wings fluttered past her bright eyes and this wreck of a world fell away. It reminded me of Hugo's Vere Novo. Reciting poetry in this devastated world felt cathartic. I told her that she has so much in common with this beautiful winged creature. Butterflies start as so much less and make themselves something more. Perhaps if either of us had any tears, we would have cried. Entry 143. I thought I saw one of those small drones pass over us today. We were picking berries and watching out for more butterflies when I thought I caught a glimpse of the damn thing. I made her a promise. No matter what happens, if they catch you, you must not trust them. Not ever. Entry 144. These are difficult days and nights. It's slow traveling off the roads, and we're on each other's nerves now. She observed that the other people from the Black Armory were nicer. I snapped at her, but she's right. At least these days, anyway. The barrage of questions continues. She wants to know why she's special. Why we needed her here. Where she comes from. I still can't muster up the answers. I find it easier to bury my face in this journal, or pretend to be asleep than to face her questions. We are still quite a ways from the shore. Entry 150. I put this journal aside for a long time. I've been too tired to write in it. My clothes are looser, and she's concerned that I'm shedding mass. This is not how I ever wanted to get to know her. At night, I started singing to myself to calm my nerves. 
She paid rapt attention and shortly asked me to teach her the song Les Tempes des Cerises. She asks how I know him, but I'm in no condition to talk about him. It's just an old family tradition, I tell her. Is it lying? I wonder if it really matters now. Entry 151. I tried to answer some of her questions. About the Black Armory, about life before the end, about what I believed in, about what makes us who we are, about what makes her who she is. If you don't know where you come from, how can you know who you are? Our past defines us more than we are willing to admit. All this, all that is lost, I'm telling her that she should care for it. Our past is precious and needs to be remembered. I tell her this realizing I'm the one holding back. I'm the one keeping secrets. I'm the hypocrite. Stopped me from being able to even look at her. Someday, probably soon, she'll be the only life our legacy has left. Maybe one day I won't be such a coward. Maybe then I'll tell her everything. Entry 157. We've arrived at the shoreline. There's a small organized camp here. Unfortunately, all that floats, and some things that don't, have already set to sea. There will be no boating away from Europa. Corsica is off the list for now. Entry 158. I've had an anxiety attack. A woman with a drone has shown up at camp. She seems to be law and order here. She made a point of being impressed with our charged black armory weapons. Does she have good taste, or does she know more than she lets on? We can't take the risk. We'll have to leave soon. Entry 159. Today, some young children and their parents asked if Ada wouldn't mind holding their hands and talking to them. Apparently, this is their first encounter with an exo. She takes to them with ease, makes them feel comfortable like it's nothing. Her innocence shines. She has such a good heart. She enjoys playing with the children. She's quite good at hide-and-seek, a skill I'm more than happy to let her hone. The children love her playfulness. There are two other exos in this camp, and the three of them have become fast friends. Seeing her experience others makes me realize that she deserves to be free of me, but I can't resolve to let her go. Entry 170. Last night, the peace of the refugee camp abruptly ended. Thunder and lightning reverberated in our ears. The people with drones fought a battle in the camp against other people with drones. She and I took this opportunity to escape by following the shoreline for a few miles. I know why they're here. I recognize one of them. The man from before. The one with the red drone. The one who killed Yuki. They're here for the Obsidian Accelerator. We have to leave. Entry 171. We watched the camp burn from the cliffs. I saw the people with the drones fan out in all directions. I could follow the paths they cut through the darkness by the flickering of their drone's light. There's no time for anything else, and despite her concerns, she has opened up to me. I'm removing the Obsidian Accelerator and sending her down the road. They can come and get it from me, not her. This is likely goodbye. Final Entry Dear Adelaide, When those people and their drones found me alone at their deserted intersection, they demanded to know where you were. I offered them the Obsidian Accelerator. I gave it freely. You promised you would leave me, and you did. But you never said how far you would go, did you? You stayed close enough to watch through your scope. As the man took aim at my head, I heard the shot and assumed I was dead. But it was him who was dead, not me. You were so far that none of us knew where to look. The second man winged me with one of our own weapons. He began to gloat about that, but another round from you shut him up. Two more thunderous shots, and their drones were as dead as they were. I saw the glare from your scope disappear, and I knew you were heading away. I know you must feel guilty, but don't. 
It was I who wronged you. I grabbed the accelerator and got as far from the shouts of the aggressors as I could. They've been on my tail. By now, you're long gone, and I've led those people back inland. But I'm done running. The end of my story is close, as it probably should be. So I guess it's time to tell you a few things. Well, about you. The end of your life should have followed its natural trajectory. I'm ashamed I changed it for selfish reasons. Does the name Adelaide bring you any flicker of recognition? It's your birth name, and you heard it every day of your life until the day I sent you without your consent into a new world. You became Ada One when I robbed you of your end. I've loved you since before you were born, and in trying to give you everything, perhaps I've robbed you of a final human experience, a dignified death. I know I will not see you again. If you want to know about your past, know that you were born a second time in the Niobe Labs. When you were wounded at the labs and I saw you were losing your fight, I did what I always did when the chips were down. I created something. You, Ada won, from what I had almost completely lost. I did it out of fear of losing you forever. I chartered the course of your life and made decisions that were yours to make, not mine. I hope you find it in your heart to forgive me for that. I was naive. I looked too often to the past. I just couldn't let any of it go. I never did have much respect for the natural order of things, and Helga, well, she was the opposite of me. She only wanted to grow the armory, to see its full potential, and Yuki helped make that vision possible. The two of them spent as much time looking ahead as I did looking back. I realize now that there's a balance to life. You look backward a little, you look forward a little. But most importantly, you live in the here and now. You appreciate what you have, because you never know when it'll all be snatched from you. Learn from our successes and our missteps. Be bold. Do not fear the future. Respect the past. And never forget where you came from. And try never to fear death if you can help it. I know I don't anymore. <laughs> you know what's funny? I never considered how lucky I was for the time we had together. The envy of all the mothers who ever lived. I got to love you twice. Your mother, Henriette. This concludes the Black Armory Papers lore book. I sincerely hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. When Season of the Forge came out back in the day, I was enraptured by the aesthetic and mystery of the Forges, as well as their curator, Ada One. When we first met Ada in-game, we assumed she was this standoffish, rude, and odd-looking exo. Now that you know her story, I hope you can look at her with new eyes, with a proper understanding of what events had to happen for her to get here, and understand. Understand the sacrifices that had to be made, it's a personal theory of mine that the sniper rifle Ada-1 used to eliminate the two Risen and their ghosts was the Izanagi's Burden exotic sniper rifle. Four rounds in the magazine, four shots, four kills. Once you're done listening to this episode, if you've enjoyed it, uh, please let us know. I'm curious to see if this is a format of lore that people want to hear more of, sort of a direct reading of the lore books in the history of Destiny. You can find me on Twitter, my handle is ADPColossus. You can also use the hashtag LoreMind with any suggestions, thoughts, ideas, or, pff, honestly, heckling. Once again, I'd like to thank my co-host and editor, Newt, for the work he puts in to bring my voice to your ears. I couldn't do this without you, buddy. You can find him and the main account on Twitter. Their handles are at ADPNewt, the, uh, the E is a 3, and at PodcastDestiny, respectively. That's all from me, folks. Except for one last thing. As a send-off to what I consider to be one of the best-written lore books in the entire Ishtar Collective, I have one last lore tab for you. The lore tab connected to the Izanagi's Burden sniper rifle. 
This is my favorite exotic weapon in the entire game for multiple reasons, but knowing the history and stories behind this rifle brings that appreciation to a whole nother level. I hope you enjoy, a listener mine. The Izanagi's Burden Sniper Rifle Shame, guilt, fear, we all bear them. Gather your regrets, purge them as best as you can. Let your enemies feel the weight of your burdens. Ada one. I have it, I say, feeling Henriette's gaze piercing through me. The exo holds her back. Inside that head of hers, I know she's screaming for me not to do it. But I have to. It's the kind of thing one does for love. The burden one takes on. I refuse to look back at her. I can't let those eyes stop me. What you want? The exo doesn't have it anymore. I do, I tell the man with the drum. Tears are streaming down Henriette's face now. She's shaking her head. I still can't look. I know the feelings that would flow through me if I did. Yuki, no! Please don't! Henriette cries, only to be interrupted by the man. Shh, darling. You'd best quiet down. Let me and your friend here finish our little transaction. I've rarely ever seen her in tears. She's not normally one to make them. Usually I'm the one who needs comforting. Needs my eyes dried. And she's always the one to do it. Fearless Henriette. Well, Hen, today's my turn. Today I save you. The man scowls, his voice grows sharper. Hand it over. I won't ask twice. I nod and try to stay calm. I try to use it to lure him in. A false sense of security. I'm just going to reach into my bag now, I tell him. He shakes his head. Not so fast, friend. He takes a few steps, stopping an inch away from me, the barrel of his cannon in my face. Let's keep any potential wrong moves to a minimum here, please. Then he nods for me to go ahead. I'm absolutely relieved. He took the bait. And now he'll pay the price. I can't go just yet, though. I need just one more glance. One last look at those eyes of hers. I can't help it. It's too late now, anyway. My hand is in the bag, and I've already pulled the pin. No turning back. My eyes dart to the side, to hers. They lock. One last time. I'm at peace. I let her know with a smile. I hope she finds hers. I swear she's in my head, hearing me say goodbye. 